Welcome to Agriculture In-Depth, presented by Kimball Livestock Exchange and by Sioux Nation in Fort Pier. I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra. My guest is National Cattlemen's Beef Association CEO Colin Woodall. We'll hear from him after this. Cattlemen, when you're looking to buy and sell cattle, look no further than Kimball Livestock Exchange in Kimball, South Dakota. At Kimball Livestock Exchange, you'll find cattlemen working for cattlemen with a sale every Tuesday. If you can't make it to the barn, you can watch the sale live on Cattle USA. Visit KimballLivestockExchange.com to view upcoming sale information. For more sale information or to consign, call the barn at 605-778-6211, Chad at 605-870-0697, or Wade at 605-730-1801. While Congress is trying to wrap up before the 2022 Christmas break, agriculture organizations are taking stock of issues that need to be addressed. Woodall says one of those issues is the Grassley-Fisher Cattle Price Discovery and Transparency Act partially passed you know this summer and we're still kind of waiting for things on the senate floor do we do we like this bill are we a little worried about this bill where are we at on that Kellen? You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Senator Grassley and Senator Fisher's Cattle Transparency Act uh, as an association. We've debated it multiple times, and our position has been that we are against their legislation because it provides for a mandate, a mandated level of cash trade. And this is the government that would be making that mandate. And this is a government that, uh, you know, we can't always necessarily count on to do the right thing. I shared here with the South Dakota Cattlemen's Association that all you have to do is look at gas cans these days. And if you've purchased an EPA compliant gas can, you know it spills more fuel than it actually saves. And that's because of the government getting in the middle of designing gas cans. So the last thing we want them to do is get in the middle of designing cattle market. You know, as you visit with, you know, the folks in the Senate, try to educate, help them understand, especially those from not rural rural states. Is there a lot of confusion? Is there some understanding? You know, you, you hear cattle price discovery and transparency. That sounds by title like a good thing. You're right. It, it sounds good, but like most things in Washington, D.C., you better kick the tires, look under the hood, because it, it may be a jalopy. And unfortunately, we see that way too many times. But we have to step back a minute and realize that this is not just about being against something and saying, well, that's all there is to it. It's about looking for real solutions. And we need full enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. That's what NCBA supports. That's what we are for. But right now, the Packers and Stockyards Division has about a 40% vacancy rate in their positions. There's no way that a federal agency, any agency, any company can operate when you have almost half of your people not even there. So if we want to be serious about investigating violations the Packers and Stockyards Act, prosecuting those violations and making sure that the market works according to the Packers and Stockyards Act, we need to recruit people and get them in those positions. That's where Congress and the administration need to be sending their time, is getting those people in their seats so that way they can do the investigations, bring the cases, and we can feel more confident in what they're doing and try to protect the market. Those would all be U.S. Department of Agriculture employees, right? So that's correct. So we're talking about the Packers and Stockyards Division, which is a part of USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service now. And they have not only employees in Washington, D.C., but they have employees across the country. And you know, like I said, when we, we need people sitting in these barns and these regional offices and listening and watching what's going on and being able to determine where they need to focus their time. And those who are currently there are great. Great individuals. It's just 
when you're trying to do the job of 40% more people, uh, you're not going to be able to cover every base. So that's why Congress needs to spend their time trying to help the administration get those positions filled rather than trying to come up with more bureaucracy to try to implement. What sense do you get from the folks you talk to in the Senate and their teams? Is this something we need producers to be reaching out to their senators and saying, hey, we don't want this? Or is it looking like this isn't going to get through? Or is it just better safe to make that contact anyway? So here we are at the end of this Congress, the 117th Congress. The election is over. We're now in the lame duck session. And so Congress is trying to do everything they can just to be able to go home for Christmas. And that really is just trying to get the government funded. And I don't think that they're going to have the chance to do much else, including work on these bills. But more than likely, these bills will come back in the new Congress, and they'll be a part of the discussion that we have in the Farm Bill, because the Farm Bill is coming up, and no doubt this will be attached to it. So uh, that's that's where NCBA is focused right now, is how do we make sure that going into 2023, we can get the latest information to Senator Grassley, to Senator Fisher, and show them that the market is already doing quite a bit to correct itself. You mentioned Farm Bill. What are some pieces that NCBA is, is looking at that you really want to see in the Farm Bill? And even though the agriculture portion of it is such a small piece of the actual funding spent on the Farm Bill. That really does just kind of tie back into our previous conversation about what more can we do to help producers when it comes to the market. And one of those is providing risk management tools, not having the government mandate how the market works, but providing tools for each producer to be able to manage their own risk, especially cow-calf producers. And so USDA's risk management agency, RMA, they have a program called Livestock Risk Protection. And that is going to be one of our priorities in this farm bill to try to make it easier to apply for and cheaper to uh, to take out uh, policies underneath that program. Because we think that could go a long way in helping cow-calf producers in particular manage that risk. That's one of our priority areas. We're also trying to make sure that we maintain the funding for our foot and mouth disease vaccine bank that we got in the last farm bill. We want to make sure that programs like EQIP stay fully funded, the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, which has been so successful and very popular among cattle producers, but then also making sure that we are protecting research dollars because we need USDA and our land-grant universities do the research to help us continue to be better as producers, but also to help protect us against foreign animal diseases like foot and mouth disease. Cattle Contracts Library Pilot Program. First, I don't know if there's an easy summary to, br- to break it down, but what are we talking about? When we're talking about the Cattle Contracts Library, really it's about trying to make sure that all producers have an idea of what kind of contracts are actually out there. You know, what kind of partnerships and what kind of uh, potential business deals could they have in working with feedlots and with packers? Uh, But in order to do that, a lot of producers kind of need some examples of what's been done in the past. And that's the whole premise behind the Cattle Contracts Library, is to be able to take what Uh, what is being offered today, uh, being able to report that so that way producers can see it and hopefully incentivize them to go out and have some conversations on how they can be a part of this. It is a pilot program, so it's only been funded through the end of September 2023, 
But I do believe here over those next nine, 10 months, we're going to have the opportunity to evaluate this. Let's see if it's useful. Uh, if, it, if there's some hope there, see what tweaks we need to make. If we find that it's not useful, figure out how we uh, uh, make those changes too. So we've got some time here to try to tweak this. But again, the whole idea is to try to help producers know what kind of marketing opportunities are there for them to pursue. Being a, a pilot program, is it limited or being tested, tried out in any particular states or a few states or part of the country, or is it U.S.-wide? It's just a matter of folks that have expressed interests, applied, that sort of thing. So this will be nationwide. It's not going to be uh, regional in nature. It will be nationwide, and this will end up being a report that comes out of USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service. So AMS and USDA, they're still working on all the details of how that's going to work, but uh, you we're, we're optimistic that this could be helpful. Uh, and again, as a, as a pilot project, it's only pilot in the terms of the, the length of time that is currently authorized for just through the end of this fiscal year. And then we'll have to, as I said, determine whether or not it's something that we want to pursue further. Um, we, we just need to make sure that it's a, it's a tool that works. And if it's, if, if it's not, uh, can it be fixed in order to make it work? The big four, the Packers, uh, that, that uh, situation, are we making some ground there? Or is it just going to take some more patience because it takes time to get your small butcher shops and, and other alternatives up and running and going. You know, when you look at packing capacity, it's been a priority of ours for quite some time now, and we've been very engaged with Congress and USDA, specifically USDA, on the uh, the money they've been awarding to smaller regional plants. Uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. One is the big four aren't even eligible for that money, and that's the way it was designed, because this is about getting new entrants into the marketplace and providing more of those regional or local opportunities for cattle producers. Uh, a lot of people have questioned, well, if you do that, are the big four just going to buy them up. Well, I think we're seeing uh, kind of a, a change here in the cattle industry where there is demand for more locally sourced products. So I think they're going to be able to capitalize on that and have a good business model that helps them as the operator of these small packing plants, but also the local producers. So as we see more of those awards be offered out by the secretary and we start seeing some construction, we're excited about what that could do to help us with overall processing capacity and competition here in the United States. As we think about folks that are wanting to start a small butcher shop, uh, sell locally sourced beef from their home, they got a butcher from somewhere anyway, but we get the the not in my backyard, the not in my town, not by my town, that sort of thing. Some tips or tricks for helping to educate and inform consumers, the public, our neighbors, that these aren't the old stinky, smelly, dirty situations that they were back, you know, 100 years ago? That's a great question and one that we've already seen a couple of examples of where uh, some of um, the, the smaller packers have wanted to come in and open plants and they've been turned away because of local activism. Um, you know, we know these communities, they have a right to fight for themselves, but I think the point is we have to understand what packing plants look like today. And you just said it, they're not like they were 100 years ago, not even close. They're not even like what they were 50 years ago. When you look at the technology and the science behind these plants. I mean, they are uh, first and foremost clean and um, you know sanitized and hygienic. Uh, when when you look at new cattle handling methods and low stress cattle handling, you don't have the sounds of the animals even like you once did. So it is it is a different world, but you have to get ahead of that early, and it takes local producers engaging to be able to tell the story as to why it's needed. And I think part 
too is construction building materials have also evolved so these things can blend right in with commercial areas and they don't jump out and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a packing plant. Oh, right. Uh, you, you look, if, there's a lot of examples even today that if you didn't know what it was necessarily, you wouldn't think twice about it. It's just another industrial building. So there's been so many technological changes and advancement when it comes to, uh, to packing that these new packing plants, especially since they're going to be smaller in nature, will be able to capitalize on it. And again, show quite clearly, they're going to be great neighbors. They're going to be good for the local economy. And more importantly, they're going to be good for producers who are looking for alternatives to be able to process their cattle. With Agriculture In-Depth, brought to you by Sioux Nation in Fort Pierre and by Kimball Livestock Exchange, I'm DRG Media Group News and Farm Director Jody Heemstra.